everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me is Danny O'Dwyer. How are you? Dan. I'm good. I've just poured uh, all of the emails we got over the past week into a trash can because they were all about which drivers are going where. And with today's <laughs> news, that's <laughs> all out the window. So thanks, everyone, for your emails. They're in the trash. <laughs> we appreciate the effort, though. Uh, yes. Also joining us, uh, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not bad. Been a while since we had a good uh, emergency pod. Yes, thankfully this <laughs> fell exactly on when we were recording our uh, news podcast. Um, if you are uh, new to Formula One, we have uh, an episode designed just for you that explains the entire sport from top to bottom, albeit under the assumption that we would have a full season this year. Uh, but still, if you'd like some context, that's episode 96. And if you're new to the podcast, uh, we are obviously deviating from we normally do what we normally do in these episodes, which is uh, we do like a pre-race buildup and then a post-race debrief. But we do want to keep everybody up to speed on the news that there is. So this week we're going to focus on that uh, and have some listener emails. Um, and we'll probably keep doing every other week for that, for news and emails. Um, and we don't have anything lined up for next week, but um, I feel like if there's a something big we'll get on and and talk about it or if we can line up some more interviews then maybe we do that i really enjoyed our it seems like listeners did too uh our chain bear interview uh, i thought that was really cool yeah it's um, gonna be fun to kind of keep the bi-weekly news thing like even this week without the news that just broke it probably would have been pretty slim so yeah. the idea of doing the news one every week again which just kind of be, uh, be squeezing I don't want this it. podcast to suck, Danny. Yeah, I like I like how dense this podcast is. It always feels worthwhile. I, I don't. I feel like we never do anything that isn't worthwhile. So, uh, yeah, we have the slot open for emergency podcasts, and maybe we'll get some interviews in there. And if you liked all the, you know, film review stuff we did, uh, become a patron. There's a whole bunch of them there, including <laughs> including one coming up next week. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, we will also keep doing uh, video content um, on for free on the YouTube channel for uh, upcoming races. Um, and, uh, maybe get some more racing games going here. Mm. Um, also, as Danny mentioned, the show is supported entirely by our audience, uh, patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcast episodes exclusively for our patrons, which cover racing documentaries and films, primers for other racing series and other weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Also, uh, patrons get early access to that video content that we put up on youtube um what uh we just put up some stuff danny what's uh, been going on on that end yeah like i said driven will be up next wednesday you guys have watched it i've yet to watch it <laughs> from your faces i buckle up I'm, oh god I'm get terrified. your five point harness <laughs> secured danny uh, but when it comes to uh, so I'll be for patrons up next week and then when it comes to the video stuff uh, of course all this is early access for anyone who's uh, on that tier on Patreon but it's all free on YouTube regardless uh, we did our first race day in Circuit de Barcelona Catalonia um, which very is very uh, rainy Barcelona yeah that was sorry that was my fault uh, myself <laughs> Rob and Drew drove around uh, Catalonia uh, in the Formula One video game. Uh, we did a five-lap race together. Instead of doing the track walks, because they feel a little bit like, what's the point of doing track walks for all these races that we're not actually having a race on? So we may get back there. But for the moment, uh, we're doing these race days. So our next one is going to be Monaco. So that'll these are going up on the Sunday, like the actual day that these races would have happened. Uh, so instead of watching a really well-produced uh, presentation of some of the fastest cars and the best athletes in the world 
you get to watch the three of us fumble around and do our best Roman Grosjean impressions. Um, so you can check out the first one now over on youtube.com slash shiftf1 and we'll be improving them in future episodes and having multiple viewpoints and stuff. Uh, the first one was uh, kind of a dummy run in more ways than one. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, let's take it to the news, shall we? Uh, boy. This is a landslide. Danny, do you just want to get right into this one? Yeah, yeah strap on your, uh, your, your red swim shorts and let's dive straight into the pool of news. Nice. So, Sebastian Vettel is out at Ferrari. We are going to read from a, a, a statement issued by Scuderia Ferrari themselves. Um, and obviously, we have a lot to talk about uh, in relation to the fallout that this creates. A uh, couple of pull quotes here. First, Sebastian Vettel. My relationship with Scuderia Ferrari will finish at the end of 2020. In order to get the best possible results in this sport, it's vital for all parties to work in perfect harmony. The team and I have realized that there is no longer a common desire to stay together beyond the end of the season. Financial matters have played no part in this joint decision. That's not the way I think when it comes to making certain choices, and it never will be. What's been happening in these past few months has led to many of us to reflect on what our real priorities in life. Uh, one needs to use one's imagination and to adopt a new approach to a situation that has changed. I myself will be, uh, sorry, I myself will take the time I need to reflect on what really matters when it comes to my future. Scuderia Ferrari occupies a special place in Formula One, and I hope it gets all the success it deserves. Finally, I want to thank uh, the whole Ferrari family, and above all, it's Tifosi all around the world for the support they've given me over the years. My immediate goal was to finish my long stint with Ferrari in the hopes of sharing some more beautiful moments together. Uh, sorry, my immediate goal is to finish my long stint at Ferrari in the hopes of sharing some more beautiful moments together to add to all of those we have enjoyed so far. Um... So there's that bombshell. And then we have a quote from uh, Matteo Bonato, team principal of Ferrari. Uh, this is a decision taken jointly by ourselves and Sebastian, uh, one which both parties feel is for the best. It was not an easy decision to reach, given Sebastian's worth as a driver and as a person. There was no specific reason that led to the decision, apart from the common and amicable belief that the time has come to go our separate ways in order to reach our respective objectives objectives so before we talk about the lemon dance that is soon to follow uh gentlemen what are your thoughts this this totally came out of left field for me i mean yeah i think we every time sebastian Vettel made a mistake in the past like three years we were all like well, i don't know how much longer does he have this right but then now it's like oh he's out at ferrari it comes as kind of a surprise but it i think it's surprising because this does not imply a retirement. It does. This language does not sound like he's retiring. And it's a, wouldn't it sounds he have a said little, that? I guess. Yeah. It 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 doesn't not sound like he's retired. Like it leaves <laughs> open the possibility. But yeah. It, but he's not. But he the never the word is never said. Or yeah. It's not, it's, it's not I, like, I think. Yeah, I just kind of I, I expected him to finish his career at Ferrari. I would have expected that if things had gone better. I think this is a weird statement. Uh, in some ways, it sounds very much like a a divorce statement, uh, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, where totally. they, where we realize there is no longer a common desire to stay together beyond the end of the season. Uh, so was there a one-sided desire uh, to stay together beyond the end of the season? Um, 
it's it's a weird statement on on that front, and I think the what's been happening in these past few months has led many of us to reflect on what our real priorities, uh, what are our real priorities in life. Uh, I myself will take time I need to reflect on what really matters when it comes to my future. All these yeah. things could it like if you told me Seb is done and he doesn't want to really be in F1 anymore, I would believe that. If you told me he wants to stay in F1 and is just looking to exit Ferrari, uh, I'd believe that too. I genuinely don't know what is going on with this, uh, except I, I will say, I think we've all gotten the sense uh, in the past few years that one, a lot of times, Vettel did not seem to be enjoying himself at Ferrari. Uh, seemed tired of being in F1 in a way that you never saw during the Red Bull era, maybe except for the very tail end when uh, Ricardo was nipping at his heels. And I remember uh, there's an interview that they did with him. This might've been two years ago. Uh, it was, it was, I think it was part of the sky broadcast. There was a, there was a, interview segment where he was playing backgammon with the uh with the sky sports interviewer it was kind of a goofy little segment and one he's a he's a real backgammon nerd uh which came through (laughs) but the other part of it is that you know he talked about what he gets up to and the more like as you start to learn a little bit about Vettel he does seem like one of those people who would just be would just be one of those weird garage hobbyists in some ways mm-hmm. if he weren't an F one driver, and that was sort of came, what came through in his interview where he was talking about like um, restoring his old motorcycle. One of the things that frustrates him is that he would go back home, and every time he got back home, he would have no idea what he was what he was doing the last time he worked on the project. So he'd always have to like stop and like try to retrace his steps about where he was in this project. And the whole vibe I got of it was this weird sense of like Sebastian Vettel's an F one driver who also sounds like he might just want to be a homebody for a while. And I think that's and and this is a weird time in in the career of an athlete like this. The other part, the other element of this is it is very easy to reach this point in your career and say, I can step away. I think I've, I, I, I'm ready to call time on this. And then in a year or two, maybe that decision yeah. doesn't – because retirement always sounds awesome in your early 30s in some ways, right? It's like, yeah, I, I wouldn't do shit. And then you don't do shit. And you <laughs> realize that there's nothing really filling that gap. Uh, so I could I could also believe that I don't know I don't know entirely what I make of this or what I make of Seb's goals or wishes at this point. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Vettel knows. Yeah, that's also that's what I kind of read from it as well. That you know maybe he's had a, he's at six weeks working on his bike now and he doesn't want to go back to F one. Uh, maybe he doesn't know. Um, and also like we've we've had the feeling that him. You know that the, the old story of of Ricardo sort of chasing him out of Red Bull, and now there's another young upstart who mm-hmm. really, you know, put the pressure on last season, like in a in a real way, and in a way that we we saw it sort of come to a head at Interlagos. Um, so it's not that much of a surprise, maybe, that he's jumping. And I guess where do you go? Like, is the other thing, like, as him as a driver. Does yeah. he does he keep surely if he was chasing a championship if he's not going to get a seat at Mercedes and I don't know if Mercedes would want that to have I mean th- th- Schumacher did drive there 
that's yeah that's a good point um <laughs> i'm not sure if it, you know if valtteri was to go to one side and then you had seb and hamilton i mean it'd be an amazing battle but if you're vettel do you want the only thing i can imagine being worse than being at ferrari right now is being compared to hamilton and not and falling after short being compared to schumacher yeah, yeah. It's, oh, just, it's just yeah. nightmarish like yeah. now now you now you're completely like replaying uh the the stages of schumacher's career but then right. you're also going into mercedes to be compared to the like the most the other most dominant driver of your yeah. generation uh that seems i would find it interesting but it also just seems like one of those partnerships that have nowhere to go but down yeah that's a good point. Legacy is a difficult thing, and he's kind of staring his in the face at the moment. Um, so I guess the question of where Seb is going or what he's doing with his life is up in the air. We don't know. Uh, like the guy said, he probably doesn't know either. Um, but there is another big question, of course, that his departure creates, and that is who will replace him in that other red seat? So we have some rumors already coming down the newswire. Some of this stuff may actually be confirmed by the time you are listening to this because it seems like it's coming in pretty hot. Um, the first one of which is a report from Motorsport, uh, the Italian arm of Motorsport, actually. So uh, Drew has very thankfully run this through Google Translate, um, uh, saying that Carlos Sainz is basically a shoe-in and that they have a uh, contract done and all that's left is for him to sign on the dotted line. Um the sort of uh, uh, lead of this one is the Spaniard will be made official within the next 48 hours. The basic agreement has already been reached, while some minor passages remain to be defined. Carlos will land in Maranello because he is considered Leclerc's ideal companion and uh, because he is also cheap. It's That seems like a good fit to me. What do you think? Yeah, I feel like Signs is a solid driver that is not that is agreeable right um yeah 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 what are you doing with this like so where this gets tricky i think is ferrari put a ring on it with leclerc Mm -hmm. uh the five-year contract is a pretty Mm -hmm. huge vote of confidence from that team like he is their guy uh, so the notion that you go in there and be a number one driver is just not in the cards. The question is, so, so I think there's, there's two questions. Uh, the, the first is what kind of team does Ferrari want to be in this, this next chapter, right? Like in some ways you could have looked at the entire Vettel, uh, the, the entire Vettel trajectory as not just on Vettel's part, but also Ferrari's an attempt to recapture some bygone Schumacher magic, right? Uh, you had a perfectionist, a dominant competitor, uh, give him a great car. He will run away with the race. Uh, none of that really held true necessarily at Ferrari, but I think it was an attempt to recreate that model. And part of that model was that Ferrari always had a primary driver and the other guy was there to support him. And that was a model they'd kept through Alonso, uh, certainly, with making sure that Alonso got, uh, you know, the pride of place over Felipe. Uh, so I think, does Ferrari want to keep to that model? Because if they do, then any driver coming into the situation has to know that he's being fitted up for the Rubens Barrichello role. And I don't know that that's 
what signs would necessarily want to be like at McLaren right now. In some ways, it's a good situation. There's two drivers. There's not a clear like you know primary uh, between them. Like it it seems like a good environment and a fair competition between drivers. If Ferrari's going to continue to be a like kind of rigid hierarchy. I think that changes which driver you want to get. I think going into this, then you, they'd have to be shopping for somebody who's willing to say, yes, sir. Uh, and, and move that car aside to make room for Charles. And I think that might be, I'm not sure Leclerc is that dude. I know who the other one that is sort of tipped to lead, to lead this horse race is. And I know for certain he's not going to be that guy. I, it's interesting. I, I, I tend to agree with you, but it's also, uh, it like wasn't Leclerc meant to be that person, and he just totally. Who knows? We're we're you know guessing here, but like surely he was brought in as a young, growable, you know, driver, not somebody who was immediately going to be shaking things up. Um, well, but he's another generation from Vettel, right? Yeah. I feel like they and so is Signs. Yeah, yeah, but like I feel like they brought in Leclerc to re- eventually replace Vettel right, once eventually. Vettel retired. Yeah, right. Um, to be the number one after having, you know, some experience next to Vettel. Right. Um, but that's not what happened, right? And if Carlos yeah. Sainz comes in and suddenly starts racing fast, like, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, if he's, if he's, if he's yeah. winning races. Um, uh, so let's, let's keep going down the, the rumor mill because we've got quite a bit to go through here. Uh, Martin Brundle has weighed in. Uh, I'll just read this tweet right off. He says, I'll take a punt on this. Sainz to Ferrari, Ricardo to McLaren... Vettel oh or Alonso to Renault. <laughs> I know, right? I'll miss Seb if he retires. Quality guy, quality driver, a champion, and an adult. There you go. He is technically an adult. <laughs> he is 32 years old. He is a year older than Nico Rosberg was when he retired. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, what do we... Uh, doesn't this just get your mouth watering? Yeah. Just all of any, it. This is the great thing about the, possibilities. the silly season is that every... Every occurrence is fun. <laughs> you know? Just imagine, by the way, <laughs> they start racing later this season and Seb fucking blows the doors off the, jo- <laughs> off the joint. <laughs> just, uh, but actually, that'd be, that'd be fitting, right? Because then you'd always say, well, that, you know, it was the freedom from being trapped in the Ferrari um, panopticon. That, that allowed him to thrive. So the Ricardo, so the signs and uh, Ricardo switch. So we know that McLaren were really thirsty for Ricardo. They've said this, yeah. you know, pretty, they've said this publicly where they had wanted uh, to be able to get that deal, but Renault got there first. Uh, so that, that was, that all kind of fell apart. The entire, the entire signs Ricardo thing, that was a monkey wrench. That entire thing happened outside of, this weird contract synchronicity uh, that's mm. been that's been happening lately. Uh, it, it it's left Ocon kind of in no man's land. It would be funny if this all starts to kind of get retroactively undone as everyone sort of swaps back around to the configurations they wanted all along. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I could I could see that. Um, so Ricardo to McLaren, and then Renault gets Nico Hulkenberg. Oh, oh my oh. god! Oh my god! Purgatory. <laughs> no, they get they get Seb. Yeah, oh, I can't see be, Seb going to funny. to Renault. Well, I mean, it might be the the Kimi Raikkonen gambit of 
I just want to drive a car. But the, I, I think that happens in two years when he gets bored, like Rob said. Like, I can't see him. You don't him. think he's bored now? Uh, he needs the gap, though, right? He like, just wants to be a dad and work on his motorbike. I know, yeah. So this is, he's got what? He's got three kids. He just had his third kid. Wait, who does? Sebastian Vettel? Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah, I, th- th- there have been, there are people talking oh, about... Oh, yeah, he's retiring. He's retiring. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing, right? He's so realized how much of a bad dad he's been. But <laughs> there's got to be part of that, right? Like, so you got to figure, like, child number three might be the child where it's like, look, we're not doing this again. Uh, at right. which point, it's like you start thinking about all the shit you missed while you were on the road. And right. I, that could very easily sort of snowball into a, I can't, like... I had my time. I'm a, I'm a multiple world champion. I can call it. Like I could see that. I could see that being part of the calculation. Uh, then, but then, of course, the kids are all old enough to go to school, and you you desperately yeah, you go back. This yeah yeah totally. Uh, but the, but in F1, you don't get to come back. Schumacher was barely capable of doing it. Barely. Kimmy came back. Did Kimmy ever have a full gap? He did, didn't he? I thought he went. Maybe I'm remembering. Bobby K. Yeah, well, he was sent. He was sent away. Um, well, sent. I mean, yeah, we he could left. Have. Yeah, twenty ten to twenty eleven, he took off. So okay. he was he was back 2012, 2009, and two thousand twelve. So he was off for 2010, 2011. So uh, did some NASCAR and rallying. Yeah, you'd have to go, but like I'm trying to think about the the Raikkonen model. I think has a certain late state latter day Kimi has a certain. Uh, Chill not sure Sebs. Who wouldn't take a multiple world champion now? Come in at retirement. Come I'll on. bet I know who would. Alpha Romeo. Let's get the band back together. <laughs> Kimmy Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel. That would be very funny. It becomes just like just the, the hobbyists. The old guy, the old Ferrari driver's uh retirement home. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I don't see him leaving Ferrari to go to Renault. I think the come down would be too. Like it's hard enough to leave Ferrari. Yeah, uh, I think leaving it for a struggling program totally. whose future is very much in doubt is super hard to see. Uh, Alonso, I can see coming back to this because I think he does want to come back, and I think it's the last team that might might have him. Uh, yeah, I think I think Vettel leaving creates a Alonso shaped hole in 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 the <laughs> like lineup of drivers. Like we've we've lost a multiple world champion who kind of <laughs> shot the bed at Ferrari. <laughs> Let's replace him with the other one. <laughs> you know, it's a. I think, and he wants to come back, right? Like he's and it it creates a hole in the right part. Like I don't think Alonso comes back, and I don't think he goes to you know Scuderia. Surely, I don't think he comes back to one of the bigger teams. I don't think that was ever on the cards. I think he needed someone just a little bit lower down, and that's where all the pockets are going to open up when somebody takes that seat. Um, outside of all of the other co- contract renegotiations that are going to yeah. happen at the end of this season, right? Which, the other thing floated out there was Rike, was uh, Ricardo to Ferrari. Yeah, should we let's go? Let's go back to our list, okay? Yeah. So and and kind of uh, and 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 see what we're looking at here. Um, uh, Drew put together some notes of uh, uh, quotes from a a racefans.net uh, article where they sort of had some of their thoughts, and there's some other sort of uh, notes in here too. Uh, and let's go through the sort of cavalcade of different people we have here. Uh, the first one you mentioned was uh, Ricardo. Um, 
Uh, known to be looking for an exit from Renault. He's getting a little bit older now, turned 30 last year. Uh, race fans understands Ferrari signed an option onto Ricardo's services last winter. That doesn't put a lock on Ricardo joining another team or even exclude the possibility of other drivers um, uh, have familiar arrangements, but he has to be a realistic candidate. So what do you think about that, uh, Rob? You, you, you say that's more likely is that is that the second most no, actually one? my position was that seems totally unfeasible really uh yeah i think i think at that point ferrari would have to be committing to we're gonna let a driver's race yeah which maybe maybe they like the thing that i think might make this somewhat likely is the ferrari way has always been to be very political but being honest it hasn't been that successful in the last uh you know 10, 12 years. Yeah. And so you, you could make the argument that the Schumacher years were kind of disproportionately successful for a variety of reasons, uh, but they haven't been able to repeat that success. And the constant political meddling has probably proven more counterproductive uh, than just letting drivers do their best work. Uh, and so I could, I could see Bonato reaching the conclusion that one he's an engineer he wants to build fast race cars he doesn't want to be holding the hands of two fragile egomaniacs the way he ended up doing last year yeah uh, and so i could see i could see his like his style of leadership as a team principal looking for a way to kind of wash his hands of adjudicating who's the primary who's the secondary uh that's that could that could be a thing where he just wants to get away from that. In which case, you know, signs could be in there and think that he, you know, he he had as good a shot of beating Charles as anyone. Uh, Ricardo, though, you would definitely be committing to saying that these guys are going to race uh, yeah. because you're just not you're not going to get him to come in and expect either of those guys to back down from the fight. What do you think? Because unlike signs, uh, Ricardo is a proven race winner. You know. Yeah, that's true. Um, um who else do you think then uh uh who, who who else springs up for for you drew to go into the ferrari seat yeah uh maybe someone who not only was a ferrari simulator driver in 2018 but is the only other driver besides sebastian fettel to put a toro rosso on the podium that's right the torpedo himself <laughs> that's who i'm going with also apparently according to this article he speaks italian oh, really yeah god and is managed by nicholas todd who also handles leclerc although as the article points out it's questionable whether ferrari would want two drivers from the same manager in their stable right god that'd be what what an amazing fucking like <laughs> character arc would that would yeah. be if suddenly danny, danny kivat ends up he torpedoed himself into the submarine and now he's driving <laughs> the submarine <laughs> yes um there's a note here on uh, uh hamilton as well uh because obviously he's going to be mentioned in there at all um uh he is very loyal to mercedes obviously he's had incredible success there you kind of think why would he leave um quote here from race fans if he gets a hint mercedes aren't going to stick around and again the pandemic has changed many things a ferrari move would make a lot of sense uh, sense and cement his gigastar status it's a good point he probably doesn't want to leave mercedes but if mercedes decides to bow out or is even down you know 
if if it's thinking next year or the year after, then maybe this is the time to jump. You can never tell. There's a weird. This is the only thing I think that makes this remotely credible. Is Ferrari mistake. Just the almost irresistible attraction to go drive for Ferrari. Now, if anyone could say he's a big enough driver to not need that ego trip, to not need to be a race driver for Ferrari, it's Lewis Hamilton. But at the same time, uh, the number of things this dude has left to do in the sport are vanishingly small. <laughs> uh, to an extent, going in there, like, imagine, like, okay, uh, you know, he goes and he reels off a championship or two for Ferrari, uh, at which point, at which point there is no, like, there could no, there couldn't even be a little, like, little, you know, margin of doubt left. Like, that would be greatest of all time uh, type of stuff. But again, Ferrari might, might kind of be crummy to work at. Uh, and that might not be what, Hamilton is down with um, Ferrari certainly thinks it's the biggest brand and yeah I'm not sure that would wash well with with Hamilton uh, so I think there's a lot of reasons it would be a it, it could be a really bad idea um, yeah, this, I, I've just found a, an article from 2019 the September 2019 God it feels like decades ago now um, where Hamilton is uh, I guess it's a Ren Monza or something where he's uh, talking about Ferrari fans wanting him to join. I have a quote here. In fact, when I now come, a lot of Ferrari fans ask me to come to Ferrari, so it's quite cool. I get a lot of messages from Ferrari fans who say, I'm a Ferrari fan, but I respect you. So I think it's growing slowly, bit by bit. It'll never be the same as if I was driving for the Ferrari team, but nonetheless, bit by bit, it's shifting. Um, So who knows? Maybe something there. Um, He's also one of these guys that has been making rumblings about like, you know, F1's not everything. You know, yeah. I don't know how long, how much longer I'm going to be in here. Like, if you were on your way out mentally, wouldn't you just, if, I don't know, I'm not a racing driver, but maybe you think, well, I'll go spend a couple years at Ferrari. I've already yeah. got all these championships. I just want to drive there for a little bit. Uh, th- just I, say I did. It's, it's, I, I almost don't want to bring it up because it's such a, an inf- sort of a dangerous inflammatory conversation. But as somebody who is a fan of European soccer. Italy, um, yep. We're going, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, there is a. I watched Serie A and have done since I was a kid, and there's a lot of um, uh, non-white players who have transferred to American team or sorry to Italian teams from all over Europe. Um, but there's a history of English players who are black not wanting to go to Italy because mm. of the racism that they uh, they they still get today um, from sometimes home fans. It's really yeah. like Mario Balotelli was probably the one of the bigger ones in the past. Uh, this was a huge story last year. Yeah, it's and and it's and it's been a consistent story over the you know twenty odd years I've been you know sort of watching Serie A off and on. So I think that's definitely an element as well that could come into play uh, again i don't want to bring it up because i don't want to paint the tafosi with a with a bad brush or anything like that that's not what i'm saying but there it's a it is a very uh real no, think, issue in sports in italy no it's something that especially was, with I foreigners was, especially with foreign people who are not white you know what i mean dude if you hadn't brought it up i was going to next uh because yeah. i was i was pulling up the the same articles uh but yeah i think that 
that is part of it. Like, and I don't know whether that makes it more or less likely that it would appeal to Hamilton. Like in, in some ways, uh, you know, the sort of boundary breaking aspect of it could appeal, but at the same time, like the toxicity of this, of the stuff in Italian soccer has been pretty incredible. And if you're Lewis Hamilton, like, do you like, you do not have to put up with this shit. Yeah, uh, you know, I and I that does seem like a tough thing to volunteer yourself for. Now, that's not to say, um, like black athletes used to dealing with all sorts of racism and in your face racism. Uh, so, like, I like I am sure uh, Lewis Hamilton has seen more than his fair share of this, but uh, yeah, it does seem. Like it, it becomes a tougher sell to walk into that situation, uh, seeing this precedent in Italian football, and also knowing that you know the that that, that crowd could turn on you, uh, both for for those reasons and if things aren't going well uh, at Ferrari. So yeah, that, I, there seems to be a lot of countervailing forces. I, I would I would imagine I don't know, but I would imagine that the average you know Italian Grand Prix. Uh, spectator is a lot more respectful than you know Lazio ultras or whatever but like um yeah it's definitely you know it's a it's a it's a part of this um anyone else uh want to pick a pick a person or we're kind of getting down to the probably nots here but uh is there any anyone got a shout I mean I just I'm kind of considering Brundle's scenario where Sainz goes to Ferrari Ricardo to McLaren and Alonso to Renault that leaves that gives you Think about what kind of a team, first of all, McLaren would be mm. like two goofballs. Yeah. That would be hilarious. Uh, the meme and then, lord and the meme lord's protege. <laughs> right. Or, 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 I don't know, actually. <laughs> or Target. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then you have Alonzo and Ocon at Renault. <laughs> Talk about fireworks. That'd be, I'd love that. That's great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost a shame. Kimmy with, back. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Uh, there's also a Signs Alonzo uh somewhere right if if things went <laughs> things went that someone else got the seat or for ricardo got the seat now um, we would finally know who is the true king of spain <laughs> hey man drive to survive already did that one they can't do it again um uh let's uh, jump through a couple of other ones uh, sergio perez here a former ferrari academy driver lots of experience um but he's pretty well entrenched at a racing point uh Aston Martin. Um, Raikkonen, uh, Drew has down here, low maintenance, Ferrari's most recent world champion. That's the funniest thing you could have said. That is mm-hmm. so true. He is Ferrari's most recent world champion. Um, Alonso would be a poison with Leclerc, and Leclerc is already a proven winner, I agree. And Giovinazzi hasn't exactly set the world on fire. And yeah, Raikkonen has beaten him consistently. I think everyone else on that one, you're kind of looking at this number two driver at the team they're currently at. So, uh, Which, again... To Rob's point, they may want, mm. you know, they may want a... Lando yeah. Norris. <laughs> I think Lando is still kind of up in the air. We Rob. don't really know what he's capable of. Bobby K. Ship sailed. Yeah. The ship, ship's, ship's got to come back to port. Can't stay in the sea forever. <laughs> Unless it's the well, Titanic, I guess. Uh, speaking of fireworks... Are we are we are we good with this? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I I also feel like you know if you're a fan of F1, look up the news in your local website and you might have some more details on it. 
Follow uh, at Shift F1 Podcast on Twitter. That's a way better way of saying it. That's good job. For uh, all the, the latest news retweeted when I wake up. <laughs> Hours after England. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think the next thing we should deal with, people wanted us to talk about it last week, but we had a show already in the can. Uh, so we've been talking for the last few weeks about how good that IndyCar iRacing series has been. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for the so last, good. for the next to last race, Landon Norris accepted invitation to race the Circuit of the Americas and, uh, just absolutely crushed the field there. Uh, just dominated uh virtual he had a spin in the closing laps didn't matter he still got first place <laughs> yeah yeah just effortlessly clawed back uh the the lost time from a spin and uh just sort of breeze to the win so you know it was one of those things where they invited him to get guest appear at one of the races and then he just kicked the ever-living crap out of the entire field um which i didn't realize this shouldn't be a surprise because he's been racing hardcore racing sims since he was like six years old uh certainly by the time he was 10 uh he's been racing stuff like i racing so in a weird way like you wouldn't expect uh like you would not expect expect lebron james (laughs) to kick ass at a 2k game versus a kid who's been playing 2k for his whole life right like right in a weird way like yeah it's a serious racing sim but another way like Landon norris plays sims like that's his game he's he is yeah. he is a 20 year old guy who's been playing sims his entire life so it's not a huge shock that uh that he would uh own at coda uh the next race <laughs> up was uh indy and there was a little bit of a uh, contretemps, as it were, at the uh, at, at the virtual Indy, not 500. It was the uh, first responders 175. Uh, I think it was like a 77 lap race. They did at Indy. Uh, Norris uh, didn't take pole, but he qualified second, and was in a fight for the lead uh, with about you know three laps left, uh, and. That's when he sort of so to 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 back it up a little bit. Uh, he was in a fight for the lead uh, late in the race with Graham Rahal and Simon Pagano, who had won two of the uh, races in the iRacing series, and they were having a pretty serious duel. Uh, Lando was on fresher tires, and they were going three wide through a corner. Lando goes low, Rahal's in the middle, Pagano is stuck uh, outside. Uh, Lando going low causes Ray Hall to sort of uh, shiver out of the way. He like again like Norris thinks it was netcode actually that that mm. caused uh, Ray Hall to sort of overreact to the move because like just iRacing racing may have misreported the car's relative positions impossible uh, to, to each other. Yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't. But like uh, you know, I'm sure. Veteran iRacing players uh, have an opinion about what happened. Nevertheless, though, uh, Ray Hall sort of went wide and took out Pagano, and Pagano like lost his shit. And the thing that annoyed me the most was that yeah. when he spun out, he didn't care to remove his car safely from the racetrack. He just took his hands off the wheel. He rolled down the bank and he took out someone else. And it was like no need. Like it, it already, I was angry at Pagano at that stage. 
Yeah, no, that uh, that occurred to me too. Like, yeah, he uh, in the wake of his accident, like definitely just sort of drove across the track and like wiped somebody else out. And he was blaming Norris uh, as he as he went to the pits to fix his car. And there wasn't really there was no point in fixing the car. Like he was out of the race. Like he had that was that was the end. That was day done. He wasn't going to get back in contention. But he goes he goes into the pits, and as he's coming out, he says, "Let's do it. Let's take Lando out." Uh, and we know that because his spotter is streaming hmm. to Twitch. Yeah. And uh, so his spotter basically talks him in to Norris. Pagano. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pagano's spotter is giving him tr- like uh, position updates on where Norris is. And they sort of time it out so he will intercept him and be right ahead of Norris uh, in a corner. And then as they're leaving the corner... Norris just, uh, Pagano just like comes completely off the gas. Car slows dramatically as Norris is accelerating out of the turn and Norris drives over the back of him and gets wiped out. And at that point, like Norris was in another three-way duel for the lead, uh, between him and Oliver Askew and, uh, uh, Marcus Erickson, I want to say, um, yeah. uh, Pato Award maybe because oh, okay. it was the three McLarens, right? Yeah, that's what it was. Erickson yeah. was up there as well though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like it was shaping up to be a great day for McLaren. Uh, also a good fight for the, the lead at the end. And then Pagano kind of takes Norris out. Uh, and I don't know what, it, like I talked a lot about this on the waypoint podcast. Um, so yeah, you had a great article as well, all about this up on a uh, waypoint. Wait, well, up on vice, right? Yeah, it's waypoint. Yeah. sure. Whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like I am curious what y'all made of this. I think Pagano is, uh, no, I can't think of a word that's not derogatory to someone else. I think he is gutless. I think if you're going to do it and say it, then don't pretend like it was an accident once he did it. Like he clearly did it on purpose. And then like, you want to clear that up? Cause I didn't get to that part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you explain like, so, like when he caused the accident, like when, when the crash happens, that. he like throws his hands in the air and he's like, oh, I didn't. I forget what he said, but he basically was just like gesticulating and saying like, oh, I didn't. I hit Lando. I didn't mean to didn't mean to hit him. And then he whispered something in the pits. Yeah, I was. Oh, that's it. I was trying to get into the pits or some like I think he must have just forgotten that his spotter was streaming or something <laughs> like and he thought maybe the camera would cut to him if he was and he So he reacted in this way. And then it actually got worse. I'm sure you'll talk about it when he talked to Norris after the race. Because then he just, he lied to him then as well. And said that, said that, oh, I was just, I did it by accident. I was trying to slow you down. I didn't yeah, try. Yeah, which even if you're, you know, if his, if his true goal, which I don't think is, uh, is this, but if his true goal was to just like slice across the front of him and like cause Norris to wobble a little bit or slow down and be overtaken, there's still this greater question here of how seriously are you taking this? Yeah. That's what uh, all it comes something that I think, yeah, something that I think you articulated really well in your article, Rob, is it seems like the problem here is that that is different for everyone. Or, or, if, or if you are a spoiled brat who lost out, that it's really easy to just, you know, just you know this doesn't matter this is stupid this race is stupid like clearly he cared he was in the race for the lead and then like just because he's he's angry he's irritated and he can't hold his calm 
So he's like, oh, whatever. Yeah, then you, you change to the other one, yeah, right? Yeah, a like, ruiner for everyone else. And he could have I'm taken out until I'm not. everyone. Like, he, he's really yeah. lucky, I think, that he only took out Norris. Because you could have easily messed that up, taken out someone else, or taken out Norris and someone else, or caused a massive crash, caused the big one. <laughs> so, right. like, I think in that way, he's actually, he got off light. But, yeah, he comes across as an unbelievable jerk in the whole thing. He's not the only one. No. Yeah, well, yeah, so you want to clarify that one, Drew? <laughs> so, uh, please fill in, in here, Rob, because I, I haven't watched the replays in a while, but um, after Norris gets taken out, the race restarts, and there's some great battling up at the front. Um, And then, so I, I don't remember... Uh, anything until like the final dash to the finish do you have anything to fill in there no i don't know anything that happens in between <laughs> rob's dog does yeah, yeah we got some <laughs> bad behavior happening here santino like <laughs> so santino ferrucci uh is drag racing to the finish with um is it oliver Eskew? yeah yeah uh, for first right for fir- for the win of the race, final corner coming down to the line, and Santino Ferrucci, if you don't know, uh, got kicked out of Formula Two for bad behavior. Basically, like yeah. his team just dropped him. Uh, he got fined for using his phone in a, a race car, like texting while driving of an F two race car. I don't think he ever paid uh, his fines as well that he got. Yeah, he did. And he didn't, he didn't, like, he owed his team some money. Um, He's like a MAGA douchebag, basically. He, like, tried to get, like, a MAGA livery on his car. He's just one of these fucking... And UFC had one of these guys, too. Just, like, these absolute tryhards just looking for attention by just being shitheels. I mean, after a race, a real race, he, on the cool-down lap, sped past a bunch of other drivers to deliberately collide with another driver who has had wronged him in the race yeah, he's he a believed, he's team, and wow. was his teammate he's a he's just an idiot he's just one of these jerks that unfortunately we have to share this planet with yeah uh but has somehow found footing in indycar money i and, bet but he's got rich parents oh yeah yeah uh, yeah he certainly does uh and uh i think one of the most frustrating things is watching him be um lauded for being such an amazing rookie right uh, but I think this was the time when you got to see his true colors because coming down to the wire here, uh, it, I think Askew was a, like a, a nose ahead. Um, and they're side by side and Santino Ferrucci just turns his wheel yep. sharply to the left and, uh, crashes into Askew and takes him out. Both of them. Yeah. Like why? Like, so he's, I think he just did it for the clicks, didn't he? Well, so that was, yeah, that was his <laughs> argument after the fact. It was like, oh, yeah, it was for the fans. It was just, you got it, man. You got It's got to be, uh, you know, crash across the finish line. Because um, And he's probably right. His fans are probably absolute dipshits as well. well They're probably the type <laughs> of idiots who are just like, I no, I bet he doesn't have fans, but he does have a bunch of, like, online, like, yeah. just like, you know, absolute like lords right there they're just trying to like whatever they just want to see the world burn while they listen to 
fucking whatever <laughs> i don't even know where i'm going with this i <laughs> they just you know that type of idiot who's probably like replying to him on on twitter or whatever and and so he probably did do it for them great job but like once again is like what a total self-own and then and then again just like uh uh the, the previous conversation it pretends like he wasn't doing it on purpose or or made up something about oh i thought the line was or closer. it's not a big deal or it's not a big deal yeah, yeah. He, he had like 15 different excuses for it like when he realized he had you know when he caught up with his subconscious and realized he'd done something stupid he tried to cover it up yeah and like you can say that it's not a big deal because it's a video game but like that completely ignores all of the effort that went into it right like yeah something a point that landon norris made after the fact is like he and his race engineer worked for hours right on on the race setup on learning the tracks this is time that they could have been spending with their friends and family otherwise, right? No, but we had this race that we wanted to do well in. To say and nothing to, of to, like the like the iRacing people, the broadcasters, the commentators, like a yeah, lot of people. Sponsors? Yeah, totally. Um and to to do things like Pagano and um Ferrucci did, just like it's a slap in the face to all of that. It's a it's a childish excuse. The idea that the idea that it didn't matter is just that's it's a handy excuse that you can just pull out yeah. once you've done something stupid that's embarrassing. And I think that's what both of them have done. Yeah, and like, what a shame! I think the series was so good. That's yeah. the sh- that's the other shitty part of this was that series was tremendous. Mm. Um, like it was probably one of the real bright spots of this uh, weird you know, forced off season. And I, I think the, just the other thing to Ferrucci is some people shared some clips with me, uh, indicating like how much people do not like Ferrucci right. in IndyCar. And so there's a oh, very weird yeah. thing where like other drivers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because they're all on. So there's like, there's like a team speak in iRacing where I guess like all the drivers can just sort of like broadcast in the clear to anyone else. Like people can shoot the shit. Uh, and then a lot of drivers are also on their like private discords, uh, you know, also having chats over their team speak with their, with, with their pals. Uh, Connor Daly streamed a lot of this and people were showing me clips of Connor Daly uh, like doing these, uh, these, uh, these races and there was one where Ferrucci starts talking shit to Felipe uh, Nazar. Yes. And Daly. Former Sauber driver. Yeah. And Daly like freaks out. He's like, holy shit. Like, did you hear that? And people, people wanted the, the dirt. Uh, basically, like Ferrucci said, you know, hey, Felipe, you know, you're not a real race car driver. Uh, right. And. People were like, one, like Felipe Nasser is pretty popular. Like people like him. Uh, but then the other thing is people don't like, like Ferrucci. Like they well, don't also, respect Nasser him. Also, Nasser raced in Formula One. What yeah. did you do, Ferrucci? Yeah. Like you failed out in, in Formula Two. And this there thing, like the only reason Ferrucci has, has drive right now is because he brings financial backing. Uh, he is, he is a pay driver. Uh, the reason he got one of the reasons he got bounced out of Formula Two, in addition to being an asshole, was he was supposed to be paying his team to run him, and his family kind of 
stiffed the team on that deal at least they were through that season so yeah the whole notion that he is in some place of authority to talk to shit to nasser was kind of fanciful uh but it also just indicated like people in in the space do not seem to think much of ferrucci and what i find interesting about this is if you watched and i think elizabeth blackstock wrote about this for jalopnik uh MSNBC and their IndyCar broadcasts worked very hard to create some sort of like Ferrucci redemption narrative uh, Mm -hmm. in their broadcast where he was sort Mm -hmm. of a rising American star and everything he did was precocious and so impressive for so young a driver, really trying to create this narrative of Ferrucci being like talented beyond his years. And the facts don't really bear that out. uh, But even if he is an above average uh, open wheel racer, like, there's no indication that he is really fundamentally different character than he was when he got bounced out of Formula 2. And having this sort of shitty end to the IndyCar race where he screws over another driver just for laughs, uh, I think, you know, this is this sort of alluded to this in the piece I wrote for Vice. Pagano, you can say he acted out of character, uh, that in general, his reputation seems to be pretty good. Ferrucci's isn't. Yeah. You know, that, you know, this, that's the weird thing of like, Pagano, it's surprising that he would do this. And you'd sort of say, like, okay, yeah, I guess it was shitty. But he, in the end, like, once he was sort of knocked out of contention, he didn't take this seriously and kind of resorted to trolling behavior. Ferrucci's a guy who, no matter what the stakes have been, has always kind of been a troll, as far as anyone can tell. It's really sad. It's, it's the type of like common character logical flaw that like a lot of, uh, I don't know. I feel like I went to an all boys school. I think it's a it's a lot a thing that like comes with emotional maturity with like young men where you accidentally do stuff that's not great and we all do it, but your inability to sort of like grow or learn or own up to it means that you just kind of become this character who always leans into the bad things they do and and it becomes like a sort of, oh, it doesn't matter. Like you sort of minimize it. Then you just minimize all bad things. You minimize anything anyone really feels bad about ever and then suddenly you just, you're one of these weird dudes who just i'm sorry you were offended yeah totally yeah. you become this weird empathy mag like what's the opposite of a magnet or like the you know the reverse you're just you're pushing all that stuff away and it's it has nothing to do with like i bet he doesn't like this i bet he'd probably wish that he was a a driver and wasn't such a flying off the handle all the time but like it's just a shame and it's annoying that like he keeps getting in the way of himself right it's he just seems like a bitter like he watched he i think was streaming too um yeah and you just i don't know i just get this vibe from him of like he's like the bully at school who's smaller than you yeah yeah right he's just like bitter and i don't know full of confidence and nowhere to put it or or can't back it or up. like a confident facade and like yeah yeah he's just yeah. A, a sad person inside yeah. i don't know i i really dislike the guy um yeah so that that was the last indie race of the season uh virtual race that is uh we'll get to i guess when uh indie will start up again um but first when formula one will start up again we've got uh you know this is an ever uh, shifting sands sort of situation Moving here target um but the current plan is to open uh or to to run a grand prix at the red bull ring in austria 
on uh, the 5th of July and the 12th of July, uh, potentially followed by two races at Silverstone, uh, as uh, reported by Autosport.com. Um, and when this starts up again, the plan is, according to uh, F1 Managing Director of Motorsports, Ross Braun, to create a sort of, quote, biosphere <laughs> at races, uh, which means testing everyone in the paddock every two days. Um, and uh, in addition to uh, have restrictions on how people can move around in the paddock, he says, quote, we cannot socially distance within a team. Um yeah, you can't. So we have to create an environment within itself that is effectively a small bubble uh, of isolation. Team will stay within their own groups. Uh, they won't mingle with other teams. They'll stay at their own hotels. There's no motorhomes going to be there. I will make sure that uh, respects all of the requirements. Um, interestingly, race fans provided a translation of a an article from L'Equipe. Mm, the team. Say? Yeah, the team. Is that what? The, oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, that is a, a French publication. President of the FIA Medical Commission, Professor Gerard Ceylon, uh said it wouldn't be necessary to cancel a Grand Prix if someone in the paddock was found to have coronavirus, which I thought was interesting. Um, and another wrinkle here is that some countries, including Hungary, which is still on the hook for a Grand Prix this year, um, of course, have restrictions on how large a gathering can be. And so I thought it was interesting. Race fans pointed out that according to uh, Professor Salon, teams should be restricted to no more than uh, 60 to 80 heads each with marshals, officials and the media adding another 400 to bring the total to around 1200 people uh, to at a, uh, a Formula One Grand Prix. Wow. Um, but I think in the case of Hungary and probably for, well, presumably for a lot of other places, um, that uh, restriction will be, I guess, maybe waived. Uh, we're seeing that Formula One is working to uh, working with governments to be on exemption lists for things like quarantine periods, uh, which the UK has. So after Austria, you know, the teams will come back to Silverstone uh, and yep. it, it would be a real be two weeks. A real rough time if they have to self-isolate for two weeks. Yeah, and each, each country is doing it differently or has different restrictions on it or is watching it differently. You have to do it, but they don't really take, you know, they don't put you somewhere. You can kind of leave yourself. So it's not the, yeah. the big problem, I think, with them. So this has obviously all been pushed back now into July, at least, right? So the biggest problem is mm -hmm. that now we're entering the phase where you're going to start getting that second wave. So everything, as, as stuff is restricting at the moment or easing restrictions a little bit, the minute that stuff starts to bubble up again, kind of like what's happening in China now, which is that now they've had an outbreak on the Russian border and also they've had a couple back in Wuhan, so they've closed it again. So right, I think this is like, sort of what I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago was like there's always they're really it's hard to plan this stuff that far ahead because something can just happen in any one of these countries and suddenly restrict mm -hmm. it all down again so we'll have to wait and see but you know at least the double headers seem to make sense of a way of doing it as somebody who I watched the UFC 149 was on this weekend or 249 and uh 
that was wild to see how the preparations they put into it. They're, they have an embedded series on YouTube that shows the run-up to a fight. And just watching that was fascinating, just the ways in which they had to have like four times as many saunas as they usually have because people can't share them. Uh, you know, different uh, rooms, each a different room for each fighter to do their training in for the two days before the fight uh, instead of like shared spaces that they alternate. Um, so it's it's wild. I can't imagine what that's like for 1,200 people. Yeah. Um, Chase Carey says, uh, though, in regards to the rest of the season, this also from Autosport, uh, we're in discussion with all of our promoters, as well as some tracks that are not currently on our 2020 calendar to make sure we explore all options. Uh, Autosport says, although Carey mentioned no names, Imola, Hockenheim and Portimao have all indicated that they are interested in holding behind closed doors. Uh, events portimao i believe i'm pronouncing that correctly is in portugal Mm. uh he says uh further carrie does we hope to have a calendar with 15 to 18 races uh we expect the early part of the calendar to be races without fans but we hope to allow fans to attend in the later part of the year uh carrie said that at the moment there are no plans to finish the current championship in 2021 but says it is still possible quote we're obviously going to take a fairly long holiday break through the holidays um but you're not going to race in the holiday weeks but it is something we've considered and talked about i would say that our goal is to finish a couple weeks later than our original date uh but to finish in mid-december ahead of the holidays which is almost assuredly going to be when there's a another wave so it's it's, it's like yeah yeah. so can we get eight races the championship mandated minimum for a championship uh regarding next year's calendar chase carey remains confident that the schedule will go back to normal quote our goal is to have 2021 look like the 2021 we planned back in January. Not happening. Ultimately, we have renewals to put in place, and we have some ongoing discussions with a couple of new races that we think would be a positive enhancement to the businesses for fans and shareholders. Worth noting yeah. that all these quotes are coming from an investor call. 100%, and, and that's exactly what he's going to have to say. But like, boots on the ground real world, unless it's a vaccine... No way are they doing the the same season. They might have a truncated season, a different season, less fans or fewer fans. Or, but like the idea that we'll get like an 11 or a 10 month window where there's not going to be restrictions in one of these countries is complete. Like even in 2021 is complete, you know, pipe dream stuff. Uh, well, speaking of pipes and uh, <laughs> yeah, the internet data yeah. therein. Let's smoke up. Let's take it to the emails. Okay. Emails. You can send us emails. Shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. Apologies to the dozens of emails that have now been lining my uh, trash can uh, all about <laughs> how um, uh, Daniel Ricardo is going to go to Mercedes or something and whatever. Um, I love you all. Thank you all for your, your great emails. And thanks for all the feedback on the Chain Bear episode. People really liked it. That was really cool. So Cool. Uh, yeah. It was a lot of fun to talk to him. Uh, I'm going to take this first one. It's not the most F1 uh, centric, but. Uh, no, but I do want to know the answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, why was Gareth Brooks so popular in Ireland? This is from Carl in Christchurch, <laughs> New Zealand. I've often asked myself the same question. Carl says, in my bedroom of quarantine, sorry, in my boredom of quarantine, I learned that Garth Brooks, country music guy, uh, that was big enough to be featured subject of a Ken Burns documentary, was enormously popular in Ireland. In fact, when he wasn't allowed to perform five shows at Croke Park a few years back, I remember this, it was a nation- na- national uh, controversy, and... Um, this was apparently a massive scandal in Ireland, at least according to what I could Google. Based on a rough bit of math, this seems like it would have been uh, to about 10% of the country. <laughs> so how exactly did Garth Brooks, a man who is in a genre that for rural America 
blow up that big in Ireland, uh, a country in Europe that is uh, focused around Dublin. Thanks. Um, did you guys know this? The car box is big in Ireland. No, no. Is this surprising? Uh, in the same, it feels like how David Hasselhoff is very popular in Germany. Really? Like, so yeah. obviously Irish people have a big affinity with America. Like a lot of, you know, English speaking Europe is very Im- Im- enamored with American culture. It's why I'm here. You know, I grew up, I'm wearing a toy machine shirt for goodness sake. Like I like skateboarding and all the music that came from here and the Simpsons and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what's often sort of lost in translation between Irish and Americans or Irish people and Americans is the stuff that we like isn't the stuff that like Irish Americans like. Like I'd never heard of Dropkick Murphys or Flogging Molly my entire life. That they, 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 they sort of exist in the plastic paddy sphere we kind of call it which is like dumb american irish american tash that is like so culturally removed from what we actually like so it's kind of embarrassing embarrassing like like how panda express serves quote chinese food yeah kind of like that's kind of what they feel like i think one of those bands actually has a couple of irish people on it but they're they're more irish american i have nothing against them but they're like they're not irish they're not they're not the part of america that irish people like either like going back the way um but there's one thing that Americans have and that Irish people have, Ireland has, and it's farmers. And a lot of the, like, culture, there's a lot of, I feel like, cultural um, warmth between the sort of countryside of Ireland and the, uh, you know, maybe maybe a sort of a facsimile of what it is to be a farmer in America, the idea of being a farmer or at in least America. rural living. Yeah, perhaps. like totally, right? Like, and a lot of Ireland, outside of Dublin, like half of Ireland lives outside of uh, Dublin, out in the countryside and in, in, you know, small villages and out and about. And like, I, my uncle had a farm out in Waterford and like everyone's, everyone either knows somebody who's on a farm or lives out in the countryside themselves, right? So uh, the things that are really big for farmers back home, uh, line dancing is really big dances going to really go, yeah going to dances was the thing that like rural farmers would do because they'd be off in their farm on their own with their uh wife where they probably married and they were you know in their early 20s young men right taking over the farmer from their parents they split the farm between kids all that sort of stuff and what they're socially would do was for the men they'd go to the pub you know but a lot of farmers don't drink uh they're they're um Call them pioneers. They they sort of wear a little pin, and they they're they're abstinent or they're not abstinent, but sorry, they're 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 uh, they abstain from alcohol. Um, uh, so what they would do as well uh, would be go to these dances, and that's how the sort of the the families would all or the the wives and husbands would all sort of meet up as well. And the dances would have traditionally been Irish music, but then also uh, line dancing became really popular. And then country music started being really popular. And Garth Brooks, I think, hit the zeitgeist right at the time where like um, global music was coming faster to Ireland, like sort of post-Celtic Tiger, like around that time more Irish people were going to America, more Americans were coming to Ireland. I think he was kind of like hit that right on the on the head and became super popular. My dad has Garth Brooks album. I listened to Garth Brooks growing up, like... And my dad isn't a country fan, but that's just sort of how popular he was back home. Um, but there's definitely that, I think that that cultural symbiosis exists there between, you know, because Irish people, like, Ireland's really like, like salt of the earthy, like, and, mm. and, and also we, like, our, our social stratas are sort of almost different types of salt of the earth. Like <laughs> there are rich people, but like most of the time, most people are like everyone, there's a running joke that everyone else calls 
um, the other person a culchi. A culchi is a word that basically means you're a farmer, like I guess hick or something like that over here. And Dubliners call anyone outside of Dublin a culchi. Anyone in a city calls anyone in the country a culchi. And then people in towns will call like farmers who live outside of the town a culchi. So there's a sort of a, I feel like that type of life is um, is pretty ubiquitous back home, which is why he's so popular. Um, yeah, and I remember that Croke Park thing. I forget the reason why they would let him do it for five days. It was some, so like he wasn't paying enough or there was there was some reason. I forget parking or he wanted to do it on like a, during a, a holy weekend or something. There was something, I remember, huh. that had to do with that. Um, yeah, but he's uh, he's super popular. And I know a lot of, sometimes I'm just walking down the street and I'm, actually, I was I was actually coming out of the shower yesterday humming, uh, I've got friends in, a, in low places. So there you go. He's he's wheeled, weaseled his way song. into my brain. It is a great song. It's some great great tunes. He, he he can do a good live show as well. In fairness, wow. This is I'm looking at his uh, his 1994 world tour on Wikipedia, and um, it goes, gosh, from February to March. It's all U.S. And then there are let's see. 10 shows across the UK, Switzerland, Germany, Netherlands, uh, another one in Germany, Norway, and Sweden. But there are eight shows back-to-back in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can pull in a crowd. It takes it takes a while for all those farmers to get to Dublin. You know, it's like, got to hop on the bus and get, you know, get a hotel. There's a, and <laughs> there's a big stop in Australia, too, which I think also makes sense. Well, our, our, uh, based on what you were saying. Yeah, right. I, I, I bet. And also, like, Carl lives in Christchurch. So I, I bet, you know, New Zealand's full of farmers. Like, I bet he's big over there as well. Probably. They got sheep. They got sheep. They got bars. They got friends in low places. <laughs> they got hats. <laughs> they got hats. Yeah, totally. Dude, like, the first thing I did when I went to Austin when my kid was buy her some cowboy boots. Like, I definitely have that, like, <laughs> uh, nostalgia for that side of America. I don't think I've ever... I've been out in the country... A lot, but I don't think I've ever seen that necessarily. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. There you go. I had no idea. It's one of those things. There, there's often these cultural blind spots that people. To me, that's so natural that he's, and as I'm sure it is for Hasselhoff fans in Germany, that he's like popular in Ireland. And I often say like, there's a bunch of stuff that Americans probably don't realize that like one of the most American symbols to me in the entire world is a yellow school bus. Um. Mm-hmm because they don't have them anywhere else in the world that's like a purely american thing and often when i right, say but that, we don't think of those as american no right you probably think lots of places have yellow school buses or yeah right? yeah so it's uh yeah that's like a quintessential if you want a shot at the start of your movie to let non-americans know it's in america you put a yellow school bus in wow good to know thanks carl uh the next one here is from steve who says I uh, wanted to share a really cool video of the Dale Earnhardt Jr.-led charge to bring the long endorment North Wilkesboro Speedway to iRacing. He's a huge proponent of both iRacing and the history of motorsports, and it was really awesome to see this all come together. Uh, this all culminated in the debut of the Speedway during NASCAR's Pro Invitational this past Saturday, which was, simply put, cool as hell. Uh, this track is going public on iRacing on June 2nd, along with raceable 1987 NASCAR Cup cars. That's cool. 
It is. Yeah, there's a he uh, uh, Steve included a uh, a video we will link in the show notes. Yeah, it's good. Uh, which shows uh, Dale Jr. Um, and uh, some iRacing folks. Yeah, whipping this thing into into shape, clearing a lot of uh, uh, looks like rotten wood and <laughs> getting it ready to scan because they do scan these tracks in for iRacing with lasers. It's incredible. That's a cool. That's a that's a great way to preserve a, um, you know, uh, uh, a, a historical landmark. Yeah. You know, I don't have any particular affinity for the North Wilk- Wilkesboro Speedway, but some people do, right? And so, how do you, how do you preserve something like that that, uh, you know, isn't financially viable? Yeah, that's a cool way to do it. That's it's a yeah. It's it's one of the more like sort of uh, uh, pure versions of physical, like digital backup or digital preservation yeah cool thanks steve our next email comes from uh tim in perth western australia hi drew danny and rob thanks for keeping f1 interesting during covid i surf around youtube with my kids watching roller coaster stuff came across this little known motor racing roller coaster the nurburgring had dreams of building a motor racing entertainment paradise that started but never took off thought you might like to share these videos of the short-lived roller coaster with your listeners uh, uh these are really good so i've I've done a deep dive on them uh we'll link them in the show notes um the second video is a is a ride along at the ring racer roller coaster um at the nurberg ring which was meant to it was it was going to start on the start finish line and was meant to like get you up to like 200 and something or 130 miles an hour or something crazy um but uh yeah there's a great video that kind of goes into how bungled the whole thing ended up being oh it's right next to the track yeah it's like it's like 50 feet from the start finish line it's like it goes along the start finish straight it's wild yeah wow. uh, it had a there's a it's an interesting story they had like a bunch of people got injured when it exploded at one stage um and they had it running as a demo before when it erases but it only did like 35 miles an hour um and then they ended up taking it apart but it's crazy because it's like it's, it goes through like the whole uh, like building, like the paddock, basically. <laughs> it's wild. That's so weird. What a strange thing to like invest a whole lot of money in and then just completely dismantle. Yeah. Oh, they have the they have the five lights that then go out and then you go. <laughs> oh, that is cool. It's uh, uh, a what, what, what a cool idea. Yeah, it's such a yeah, isn't it? It's almost a shame. It maybe. I don't know, maybe before it's time or <laughs> I think the issue is that the notion that I mean it's very tough to make a motorsports complex a multi-purpose anything yeah. type of complex, right? Like the geography of a, of of a motorsports uh track precludes it being a good like theme parks have to be designed really carefully is a good experience and like ergonomics might not be the the right word but it needs to have like a good welcoming like it all needs to work like right like concessions and, layouts yeah. flow yeah all needs to needs to be perfect uh or it it all goes wrong fast that's tough to square with the needs of a motorsports complex yeah as somebody who's been to a rock concert on a on a at the nurburgring actually <laughs> uh, even that is kind of like it feels kind of round peg square holy a little bit where you're kind of Oh, you know, this we're just kind of doing it here because it was cheap because it was out of the way, you know, 
It's also Nurburgring yeah. is also in the middle of fucking nowhere. So like, it'd be a right, weird place. Yeah, like that's yeah, because that is the that's the other part of this is like these are huge complexes. Like even if uh, you know the, the footprint you need to lay out like a good Grand Prix circuit is pretty massive, and then that's all going to be dedicated to having a Grand Prix circuit and escape roads and emergency facilities, et cetera. So it's not like you can just like, okay, we'll, we'll draw the ring and then we'll plant Disneyland in the middle of it. That's just not, that's not happening. I, I'm sure we've all had our weird YouTube like binges during this uh, quarantine. Like this, I think I talked about the aviation stuff I was watching. And the other one I've been watching a lot of is those guys who film all the crashes at the Nürburgring during the like, uh, whatever like uh regular punters are able to bring their cars on the track um yeah yeah there's like years of those well, videos i think they eventually stopped him from recording them they like they like where do they so is this the one where you, are you racing the nurburgring or is this the one where you pay to go on the north yeah sorry this oh, is the, sorry yes. sorry it's the north life one yeah yeah uh, i've always thought that seemed like a great way to destroy a, a sports car <laughs> and there's like one or two turns where a load of people lose it and it's one of these things where if you hit the barriers you need to pay like two grand to have them fixed and, and all that stuff so it's wild yeah if you want to if you want to not go asleep some night that's a real good youtube hole to to dive into well, speaking of weird internet holes, you can follow us at Shift F1 Podcast on Twitter. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world today? I need you to clarify. Is this the uh, possible f- real world or is this the esports world? This uh, b- a little mix of Which both. Which one's first? Uh, possible. We might shortly. Shortly, we might be racing around the world again. Meet space. That's right. IndyCar sets June sixth date at Texas Motor Speedway. Um, I have a quote here from Eddie Gossage, president and general manager of Texas Motor Speedway. "Quote: America needs live sports." <laughs> And they are not going to believe what they see when the Genesis 300 storms into their living rooms on TV from Texas. Bill Collins kicking down your door. <laughs> Actually, it's spelled like like Gene, like G E N E sis. It's very. It's from like some medical Jurassic company. Or, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, they will be doing COVID nineteen related steps. To quote, protect the well-being of participants. They're gonna um, put that hydro, whatever it is, thing that Trump keeps talking about into all the Coca-Cola machines. Make sure everyone's okay. <laughs> uh, strict access guidelines limiting the number of personnel on site. A health screening system administered to all participants. PPE equipment provided to everyone entering the facility, along with guidelines on usage. Social distancing protocols in place and carefully maintained. Revised competition layout to increase distancing. Huh. Uh, they're not the only ones, though. NASCAR is starting ag- up again this weekend. What? Yeah. Uh, the um, <clears throat> NASCAR Cup Series race at Darlington Raceway. Wow. Because we couldn't find a sponsor, wow. I guess. Nobody wants to be associated with it, just in case. <laughs> Yeah, nobody, uh, wants to, nobody wants to sponsor the seating event five hundred. <laughs> the dumpster fire five hundred. Patient zero three hundred. <laughs> uh, that's sa- Sunday, May seventeenth at three thirty p.m. Eastern time on Fox. 
Uh, and then they've got one on Wednesday. They've got the the Coca-Cola 600 on uh, May 24th. And then uh, another uh, white-labeled NASCAR Cup Series <laughs> race at Charlotte on the 27th. And then I think the resumption of the schedule thereafter. But um, they will also be racing with no fans, just like IndyCar, which I don't think I, I specified, but that is the case. Um, and we'll be following CDC and OSHA, apparently, and state and local government recommendations, um, including hosting one-day shows at the tracks, meaning no practice sessions will be held for any event, and qualifying will only be held for the Coca-Cola 600. So do you just show up and get in a car and go? Great. Green light? After, after two months of <laughs> sitting at home. <laughs> Good. Yeah. This is going to be great. Yeah, that's uh, that's gonna be wild. Ring, ring uh, but yeah, they're also using protective equipment, health screenings, maintaining social distancing protocols. Uh, but that's weird. Um, e racing still happening. Formula <laughs> E is still racing on Saturdays. Electronic racing around the world. Yeah, my mistake. Thank you, Thank Danny. You. Formula E racing on Saturdays. Supercars on Wednesdays. Um. <laughs> Dog. <laughs> <laughs> the timing on that one was too good. Dog uh, racing. <laughs> anything else, fellas? Danny, you got anything? We t- this is a long episode. This is a fun Just episode, it, man. This this is what I love. This is why, this is why these two week episodes feel real good because there's just yeah. so much to talk about. Uh, it's fun. We got to talk about Garth Brooks and complain about weird IndyCar racers. Uh, sorry if I ranted too much today. Um, this is the only conversation I've had in, in a week without it being with a two-year-old uh, or my wife. Um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's I, I I think I was worried at the start of this that there would be like like racing would just effectively stop. You know, like we will talk about this again in six months' time. But it's been really interesting watching the ways in which it's like tried to evolve and cope with this situation and you know i'm still pretty pessimistic about the chances of having a season this year but like i think it's kind of cool that that there were were at least in the possibility space you know just like any race the minute before the lights go out anything could happen anything could happen rob uh, my producer's giving me the hurry up here uh i'm <laughs> a very I'm adorable call, and fuzzy producer uh, beautiful the, dog the thing the thing I'll say is this episode left me feeling a little bit country, a little bit Ballykirk. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time. Just waiting for a park, are you? I'm trying. That's what I, that's the thing I'm trying to prevent, man. That's why I'm rubbing this dog's ears <laughs> frantically because, like, as long as I'm rubbing her ears, she's cool. Thought, she's cool. I thought it's you were like trying keep, to. It's like keep talking, but no, and nobody explodes. Like, <laughs> it's that. Keep rubbing and nobody barks. I love it. Should I do my? Should I do my thing? Sure. Do your thing, Danny. I got friends in low. Yum. <laughs> 